Otherwise, it would be like this all, sun, all morning. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's a message from God. <laughs> okay. Well, that'll work. That's close enough. <clears throat> so, what troubles me, I think, most about this skit <clears throat> is this question. How is it that they were able to sneak a webcam in my house without me knowing. I just don't figure that out. <clears throat> you know, the conversations you saw in that skit have got to be very similar to ones that have happened in some of our houses. I know it's in ours. Uh, all around this church community. And they, they come up regarding uh, fear and fatigue. We're weary. Um, not just with journey of faith, but when we think about those who've carried this burden for eight years now, things like, uh, what's, we're not sure what's going to happen come in there, just a hint of, of fear. And so the question comes, how do we persevere, or even should we persevere? Isn't it someone else's turn to carry the load? I mean, what does God want from me? So when we hear those questions we ask ourselves, what, what impact will these choices have on our lives here? And in fact, what impact will those choices have on our lives in eternity? So today what we're going to do is we're going to seek some answers together. We're going to explore those questions with Jesus teaching us about money worries. So I want you to grab your Bibles and open them up, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Last week we're in 19 to 24. This week we're going to be 24 to 35, uh, thir- 25 to 34. And uh, while you grab your Bibles up, I'm going to pray for our time together, if I may. Father, uh, we are a people who love you. And you have shown your passion to us and demonstrated your care over us. And we really want to know your way. We really want to follow your way. And so we ask you, Spirit of God, to open up our ears to hear, our hearts to understand, and our wills to obey today as you show us how to be set free uh, and take hold of life that is truly life. Jesus, we pray this so that your church will honor you today. Amen. Okay. So, let's jump into our passage. Uh, Last week, we talked through the instructions that Jesus gave to us to store up treasures in heaven. Uh, we walk through the Bible to gain understanding about what difference that makes in our lives. And in today's passage, Jesus is giving us counsel about how to overcome worry. It's a counsel that we're eager to embrace, but reluctant to believe. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food in the body, more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field, how they grow? They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you 
that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. These, to me, are stunning words. Could he really mean what he's saying here? Well, the only way to know that, I think, is to to walk through this passage together. So let's start with the first set and break it up. Therefore. Now, when we see a therefore in the Bible, what's the rule? We always know that we need to look back to see what it's there for. And so we know, having studied through this passage last week, that the therefore refers to Jesus teaching us three things. Number one, since your focus has changed to store up treasures in heaven where they are secure, which will draw your heart there. Number two, since your eyes have been opened to see things as they really are. And number three, since you have rejected serving at the altar of money, therefore, because of these things, do not worry. It sounds like a command, because it is. For all us warriors, he's telling us that he really expects us to overcome the patterns of worry in our life. To reject worry, I either have to deny reality or have an advocate, a protector, someone who's greater than I, who can deliver me from the things I fear. Now, I've noticed that some of you seem to be immune from worry. While I'm very glad for you, it's difficult for me to relate. I come from a long heritage of of warriors. My grandmother was a grand warrior. My father, my father was a great guy. He loved to laugh at himself, and he was excellent at worry. He used to say to me, uh, son, I always expect the worst possible outcome so that when it happens to me, I won't be disappointed. Uh, Now I know that my dad is in heaven and he's enjoying the splendor of heaven and he's laughing at himself because the Spirit of God has uh, shown him that by the grace of God, he was wrong, that the goodness of God has poured out on him. So I want to learn now this obedience to this command. So what must I do or how might I think to overcome that? Well, if you look at this first verse, the action item seems to me the first part of understanding is that second sentence that says, is not life more important than food? Now, if I think about that for a minute, that sounds somewhat odd to me. I mean, isn't food necessary for life? You have to have sustenance to stay alive, right? What do you suppose Jesus is saying there, is not life more important than food? Well, when I studied this this week, 
I remember that Jesus said he came to give life and give it to the full. And Paul said that we were to take hold of life uh, that is truly life. Remember we had the illustration last week that God cannot fill a clenched fists. And Paul is talking about grabbing here, grasping something, taking hold. In order for us then to take hold of life that is truly life, we must first relax our grip on everything that is important to us here, that we treasure here, including our own lives. Jesus said it this way in, another, in, the, in the, the Gospel of Luke. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for my sake will save it. Is he only talking about martyrdom here? No. He's telling us how to be set free from fear. Fear can and often does dominate our lives. We are, in fact, stunned by people who have overcome it. There was a great Civil War general named Thomas Jackson. You know him as Stonewall Jackson, who got his nickname from the first battle of Bull Run, where he stood in the face of enemy fire as if there was nothing to fear. And the battle cry was, there stands Jackson like a stone wall. Rally to the Virginians. And their courage carried the day. After the battle, Jackson's officers questioned him as to how he could demonstrate such valor. And he replied, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that. But to be always ready, no matter when it may overtake me. Jackson understood how to take hold of life by overcoming the fear of death. Life dominated by fear of anything but God is not abundant. And to free ourselves requires active, diligent affirmation of the truths of Scripture. We are always preaching to ourselves. The question is, what are we preaching? Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Let me tell you about some saints who entrust themselves to God regardless of what comes to them. This morning you were handed this handout uh, noting, noting us that this is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. These believers are not riding on flowery beds of ease, yet most, of, most, if not all of them, could be freed just like that. If all they had to do was to renounce their faith in Christ. Why don't they? They've discovered that life is more than food. They are looking toward a better and lasting treasure that cannot be taken from them. They are suffering intensely. And they are eager for freedom, yet they are aware that they have the privilege of suffering for Christ. Contrast their example with the example of the rich fool, a man that uh, was making choices very much like what we might be tempted to make today. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, 
what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things stored up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how, Jesus says, it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. So this man gained the mother load of agricultural uh, business. He had an abundant harvest. Now I'm curious. Did he think that he got such a big crop from the field because he was so smart? Did it ever occur to him that this kind of abundance was meant to be shared He had way more than he needed. In fact, the harvest was so out of the ordinary that he didn't even have room in all of his barns to store it. Never had he had a crop close to this big. And evidently, no one in his small group had the courage to warn him of his impending doom. You cannot serve two masters. Rather, he focused on insulating himself from dependence on God with earthly treasure, thinking that it would be a safe bet for the rest of his life, which turned out to be only hours long. And his treasure, all of it, was lost. Now, note the difference of those who have been liberated by the gospel as the current day example of the persecuted church in Hebrews. Remember those earlier days when you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. One holds treasure and stuffs it, storing it up for himself, and he loses it all. The others gladly give up their treasure, knowing that they have better and lasting possessions, and they are pursuing a rich reward. By all means, friends, we should be not just in prayer for, even though we should be deeply in prayer for our friends around the world, but to sympathize with them, to care for them as best we can, and to learn from them this mindset of pursuit of heavenly treasure. Now, it's interesting to me to note that after Jesus gives us this tragic example of a man making poor choices and suffering loss, he says this. Therefore, I tell you, 
do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you are aware. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. It sounds exactly like the statement in Matthew. The therefore in this case is pointing back to the storing up of treasures where you are rich towards God. It's another way of saying storing up treasures in heaven. Point one, freedom from worry comes from releasing yourself into God's care and trusting Him. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It seems to me here that Jesus is almost speaking tongue-in-cheek. Are you not worth more than a bird or a bunch of birds? He who has shown his passion for us, we know he cares for us. So is he turning upside down the principle of sowing and reaping? And replacing it with giving and receiving, perhaps. But we know that Paul in Thessalonians says, if, if you will not work, if they will not work, neither let them eat. So we see about the birds here something that they are diligent. But we also see that they are dependent. <clears throat> we fall in this trap that we must make it happen. Guess what? You can't. (laughs) That's not an excuse. It's a simple biblical truth. You can work hard with the right process and still come up empty-handed. We work with diligence for the glory of God. Our motive in striving for excellence is for God's glory and not for self-advancement. Your employer or even your next big project, is not your source of supply. God uses these channels to meet your needs, but He is your source. And He loves you deeply. So from lesser to greater, from birds to you, He says, I certainly care for you. And this He has demonstrated to us. He says this to His disciples in John, just before going to the cross. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Freedom from worry requires recognition that God is my source of provision. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Worry is useless. It's not productive. We understand that, (laughs) but we persist in it. Don't you feel some obligation to worry? I mean, if you know that you have not enough money coming in to meet next month's bills, it seems like to not worry about it is irresponsible. Are you doing what you can? I will. Are you you worrying then about things you cannot control? I am. How does that help me? It doesn't. It's useless. 
I am not independent from God. You are not in control. You can try to live in delusion as the rich fool did, but then you will eventually discover that you never were in control. Yes, Jesus is saying that you must simply trust God. It is really your only dependable choice. Freedom from worry means I must recognize the subtle patterns of worry and reject them as useless. Let's read on. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Worry is faithless. Jesus repeats the same points from lesser to greater with this illustration. And he says, certainly the flowers are dependent. They can't even move to greener pastures. Yet God clothes them better than Solomon, the finest dressed of all times. Faith requires belief. So if I am faithless, I also am unbelieving. Worry, then, is not just faithless, but it is sinful. Hebrews uh, tells us this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Now, I have to ask you this question. When you're in the midst of a trial about something you're worrying, does the thought ever come to your mind, does God hear me? Is, yes, he does. (laughs) Is he there? Does he even exist? Friends, if that question hasn't crossed your mind yet, you more than likely have not had to wrestle with your own soul. Unbelief is a byproduct of worry. Freedom from worry requires that I call it what it is, the sin of unbelief, and earnestly repent. In all sin must be, all sin must be recognized as my mortal enemy, and I am going to do mortal combat with it to destroy it, lest it destroy me. God wants us to make an exchange and trade in worry for faith, believing that He will reward us. So, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus comes back full circle from where we started last week to the beginning of this topic where our, to tell us where our treasures are rightly stored. He differentiates between those who serve money 
and those who serve God. He says the pagans run after all these things. How could they not? They certainly work to insulate themselves by that, which in, that in which they trust. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can open our eyes to see heavenly treasure. Jesus points out to us here that we are in a culture in, that is naturally focused on worldly treasure or a godless independence that draws them away from himself. This week I was talking to a brother here at North Wake and he was telling me about a discussion that he and a friend had uh, as he mentioned that uh, we were in the middle of a capital campaign. And as I recall his friend's response, it was, uh, oh yeah, the church is always after your money. Now, would this be a typical response? Well, sure. Does the friend have any idea what he's talking about? No. There are 52 Sundays each year, and we spend three on perhaps the biggest temptation that we face in our culture because no one here wants to be called a money grubber. <laughs> perhaps, when I think about it, we should spend more time than just the three weeks. In fact, now that we mention it, I think I'll ask the elders if we can expand this time for you. <laughs> Why would this friend say that? that the church is always after your money? Because money is the undisputed God of this culture. Jesus tells us that the Father is in charge of our care. If he cares for birds and flowers, he will care for us. He knows our need. Freedom from worry comes from choosing to run after God rather than running after the stuff that will not last. Finally, have, having presented his explanation as to why we should not worry, Jesus repeats his command. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is not speaking here in some Pollyannish naivete he understands clearly the, the, the trials that we face. In fact, he says to his, his apostles, his disciples, uh, just before he's about to be crucified, he says this. I have told you these things. What things? Pause for a minute here. I've told you that I'm going to leave you. I've told you that uh, I'm about to be uh, given up for crucifixion. I've told you that I'm going to send you the comforter. And I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus is facing the most troubling moments of his life, and he's talking about peace. How in the world does he pull that off? <laughs> because he trusts in the Father's provision. He trusts in the Father's hand in the midst of trial. And he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Freedom from worry does not pretend that life is trouble-free. 
Rather, we trust in his hand in the midst of the trial with confidence that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, and that all we do by faith will be rewarded. He will show himself strong when we are weak if we rest in him. God wants us to trust him alone. And he tells us that we are to cast all our anxiety. Peter tells us this. Cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for you. He wants us to release ourselves into his care. He wants us to recognize that he is our source of provision. He wants us to reject the uselessness of worry. He wants us to repent of unbelief that screams in our ears. He wants us to choose to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. And he wants us to understand that he will never leave us or forsake us, especially when the trials, when the trials to work for our good. This is not your home. We have to learn to live as a pilgrim here as you set your heart on things above so that you will not be terrified when your treasures here are threatened. Reject worry as sin and rest in the provision of the king. Randy Alcorn gives a great example, which I'll paraphrase, paraphrase for you about kingdom investing. So, suppose that you, a native of France, were given an assignment in the United States for three months. You were going to be reimbursed handsomely for this assignment. But there were a couple of rules for you. Number one, you could send all of the money you wanted to back to France where it would be kept safe for you. And number two, when your three months are up and you board your flight back home, you can't take any funds with you, no francs, no, can't convert it to francs, you can't take any dollars, you can't take any stuff with you, no carry-ons, no checked baggage, it all stays here. Now, how much would you spend in decorating your apartment? You'd be a fool to do anything more than just enough to perhaps uh, sustain you through that time. We think of three months and we understand the brevity of that, but what we don't seem to grasp is, is, is the brevity of our life here. I'm 53, headed towards 54 years old. I'm well past my halfway point in my life, for sure. And God is saying, Stuart, be careful that you are investing well in the kingdom to come. He's saying the same things to you. Regardless of your age, the time is very, very short. And God wants us to drive home this point of there's a kingdom investing that, we, that, is, worth, uh, that, is, that is worth all of our efforts and all of our attention. So, How do we apply Jesus' teaching then over these last couple of weeks to the journey of faith? The first question that comes to mind for me is, paying for this facility, building kingdom treasure, or is it simply fulfilling man's ambition to build an earthly empire? I mean, look at this cathedral. It's grand, isn't it? Certainly, our hearts are more easily excited to see human needs fulfilled or to picture the gospel being dispensed in a dark land. All of us share this passion. We want to be 
careful and must be careful to wisely invest the kingdom, the earthly treasure for kingdom gain. So for me, the first question is, is this building an effective tool to advance the kingdom of God? Knowing why the building was built might be helpful to you. The old facility we had here seated about 250 people. This facility, about 1,000, both services combined, just like that one. So that's four times as many people impacted every Sunday morning by the use of this tool. Many of you have come since this building was constructed, since the first group started paying for the re- this building. And underneath your feet and behind the sheetrock, some of your names are written. Many more names are written there as a desire that God would bring, call people in to, from the community and really even around the country to come to him. In the lobby, you see pictures of far-flung families who have taken the gospel around the world. Because of our proximity to Southeastern, we have the privilege of shaping and encouraging many who are eager to take the gospel around the world. And we can support them after they go. We have shepherded dozens and continue to shepherd dozens of teams all around the world who are taking the good news there. We pray for them every Sunday. It's not just those who come to us, we send ourselves. As you heard earlier today, there's a team that left this morning, homegrown, to continue to develop an outreach of which Journey of Faith will be a significant part. In fact, it will be the main funding vehicle for this ministry next year. By the use of this building, we've been able to plant two other stateside churches who will make major impacts in strategic cities in this country to encourage a gospel witness where that culture is moving further and further away from the gospel. We also intend for this building to be the maximum of this campus. In other words, that local communities will be planted from this this community to extend the campus in that fashion, where we cooperate one with another. Through this building, ministries like Hope Counseling and Feed Ministries and others like that make significant impacts into your local community. It is not a building so much as it is a tool. Who then should be a part of the building of the kingdom through this tool? It's important to note that more than half of the cost of this campus has already been underwritten by the folks who have been a part of this campaign for eight years and many of whom have come were started long before many of you came here. They've already carried that load. <clears throat> Should those have, who have carried that burden since the inception, should they place it into your hands and uh, who, who, may, who have not taken part of it or who have not carried the burden for that full time? About 60% of you Six in ten participate in the journey of faith, which means that four out of ten of you do not participate. Already, lead gifts in next year's campaign have committed somewhere around $73,000 of support. The rest of us must fill in the gap to keep this eight-year pace of around $200,000 per year. In fact, 
We know we have a need for additional children's space, which should encourage us to step further up, well beyond that number. You hear numbers like that and you think, way out of my reach. None of us can meet that need alone. But through the cumulative giving of the whole, God certainly can meet this need unless we give way to fatigue or fear. Perhaps the question would be, who should not participate? As the skit highlighted for us, many of us are tempted to step aside for a year, to let go of the rope for a time. And it seems to me like the best thing for us to do is to go back to the Scriptures and see if there's some instruction. Paul, in fact, talks to the Corinthian church about this same question. He says it this way. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there may be equality. When, When Christ's church unites together, there is significant power. We are one body. And in any area, when some of us let go the rope, when we really need to be pressing on, um, we take away that unified power. When we are done, the visions that you will see, the images you, we will not stop talking about being generous to our To our detriment, we will continue to press one another and encourage one another to be kingdom-minded and treasure-minded. And we will see the images of these things like the Ethiopian orphanage that we support this year or the mission in Haiti that we support next year. And all of the money will go there or local works that are being planted. And we will celebrate together at the work of God. It's something for us to anticipate. But we have to press on through it so that we can see it come to to completion. So, just like I will in my family this week, uh, we'll have to spend some time together as families and ask God, should I participate? How should I participate? And then, with how much? We don't know. Um, it It is a sacred opportunity It is a call on your heart. Uh, It is a part of unifying the body. And uh, my conviction is, friends, that we all, we all need to be a part of it. I know that what would really thrill Larry and the leadership of this church is to see all of us join together, even in the least of means, that we're all participating. Let's pray together, friends.
Lord God, um, being well aware that this is a place when we talk about money that is right in the face of our culture and that we even ourselves wrestle with how do we rightly steward that which you put into our hands. Even if we do recognize that it all belongs to you, we still don't know what to do. So God, grant us this grace this week that we will see reality as it is, that we will see the things that bring us joy, that we will reject worry, and that we will be eager to send treasures on into heaven. God, that we would be eager to honor your name, that we would be eager to see the gospel proclaimed through the use of this tool, this building. God, grant us humility and encouragement and joy uh, as we pray together about this, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?